show. Guest is not in the studio, but we've talked to the two men who want to be the Republican nominee for governor of Georgia. We've done I've done interviews in the last two weeks with Governor Brian Kemp and his challenger, former U.S. Senator David Perdue. We're going to let you listen to both of those interviews uninterrupted. We'll start with Governor Kemp. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Well, Governor Kemp, thank you for joining us, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, Yeah, good to be up here in Atlanta. We're at your campaign headquarters. I'm going to start with a couple of Columbus-centric questions right off the bat. One, uh, a couple weeks ago, you moved Judge Pinson from the appellate court to the state Supreme Court. And Columbus uh, Superior Court Judge Ben Land was elevated to the state appellate court. Did you realize when you made that appointment that's the first time in more than a century that Columbus has had a judge on the statewide appellate bench? No, I did not know that. Uh, you know, I've known Ben Land a long time back from our days at the University of Georgia, but he's been a great judge. Uh, he's, he's a smart guy and really gave one of the best interviews of, of all the judicial candidates I've had over the years. So I think he's very well qualified. I think he'll bring a lot to the bench from his, you know, private sector experience, but also being a superior court judge. So we're excited about that and we're excited about Ben Richardson and John Martin as well. A lot going on there. You know, it was interesting back in Columbus, obviously up here, the top of that press release was important, but in Columbus, the other three names on that list were as equally as important as the Supreme Court judge. And I mean, you were able to do a lot for the Muskogee County Chattahoochee Circuit in that in that appointment, um, and a lot of people down there have pray have praised that. Gets us to our DA situation. I mean, in the state of Georgia right now, there is a backlog in criminal cases. In Columbus, it's exaggerated because the man that was the last elected district attorney in 2020 is now in state prison, prosecuted by the AG's office, and. Um, we have an interim, D, an interim DA and have had since October. Uh, what are you doing right now when it comes to the DA's job in the Chattahoochee Circuit? Yeah, so we got the process going on. Um, you know, it's been, been open. We've taken applications. We're working on uh, the interviewing process right now. So we'll, we'll move as quickly as we can. We know this is very important for the area and for the circuit. I've actually talked to some of the sheriffs down there about the situation and, and a lot of other people quite honestly local legislative delegation and we know this is a uh, top of mind I, I will say we've also done a lot of things you know working with chief justice Namius and uh, the supreme court uh, to figure out ways that we we did uh, some COVID relief money to help with court backlogs i mean literally this is an issue that we're the whole state really probably the whole country is dealing with but um, we're, we're focused on that. We'll move quickly as possible. Columbus got about two million of that COVID relief money to help the backlog. But you know, one of the things down there, there's a crime problem throughout the state, throughout the country. But in Columbus, we had seven shootings, two homicides since Friday morning. Um, people think we need a DA in that position now so that the staffs can be hired and the prosecutions can start. So you got a time frame on that? No, hard to say on the time frame, uh, but we'll move as quickly as we can. But listen, there, there's an acting DA in office. The prosecutors are still there. The courts, you know, um, are open and, and working and 
uh, you know, the voters of Columbus, Muskogee County need to hold people accountable and keep the pressure on to, to move the backlog, and I'm sure that they are. Uh, but we're very well aware of the crime issues, not only there, I mean, obviously right here in our capital city, I've had a crime suppression unit that I asked Colonel Wright to put together. It's been operational for nine months, going after violent crimes and street racing and um, other things here in the metro area. But we've also done operations in Macon and we've done them in Columbus, trying to help the local uh, law enforcement down there. We're also uh, continuing our push to end, you know, go after street gangs. You know, the Atlanta media made fun of me when I was running for governor because I said there was a gang problem in Georgia and I wanted to do something about it and create a gang task force at the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Well, I've done that. Uh, they continue to do great work. We've got money uh, proposed in the budget this year for, for more staff for them for more medical examiners to speed up the prosecution process and also help with court backlogs. We've got money going uh, to the Attorney General's office to allow them to help with prosecutions as well. Uh, so we know this is a need that we have not only in Atlanta, but in places like Columbus, and we're doing something about it. I mean, Georgia State Patrol has been in with our police department on warrant roundups and other, other crime suppression. Yeah, just good old, good old fashioned police work. I um, want to get the House bill, I believe it's 1064, it passed the House today. Richard Smith is one of the co-sponsors of it, a state representative from Columbus, you know well. Uh, it would eliminate the state income tax for military retirees. Obviously with Fort Benning, huge deal. If this gets through the Senate and gets to your desk, will you sign it? Oh yeah, that's my, that's my bill. I mean, I, I campaigned on this. This is something we've been trying to get done. Obviously. Uh, you know, two years of COVID interrupted a lot of the things that we've done, but this is something that I had, had promised people I would do when I was running for governor, and I fully intend to sign that bill this year. Uh, as you know, we rolled that bill out uh, earlier this year down in the middle Georgia part of the state with a lot of our military folks, a lot of bipartisan legislators, Representative Calvin Smyre was there. We had people from Columbus that were at that. Ed Harbison's been a pusher Ed, of this Ed, for Ed, years. Ed, I forgot about Ed. Ed, you know, I served with Ed Harbison. He spoke that day as well, fully supportive. And so I feel like we'll get this done um, and it's gonna be great for our state. It's gonna be great for our, our military uh, that's active duty and it's gonna be great for retired military that wants to come place like Georgia. We've got the lowest unemployment rate in the state, great opportunities for second careers uh, here in our state. We're a, we're a military friendly state, just like Columbus, Muskogee County is a military friendly community. And, and we're proud of that in Georgia. And I think it's gonna be awesome for us. And Columbus is kind of ground zero for that bill because Alabama has that exception. And so it would give an equal playing field for trying to keep uh, military retirees living on the Georgia side of the river instead of the Alabama side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, being a border town, it, it is absolutely critical that we get this done. And uh, it's great that we've got so much legislative support this year. And uh, I think especially right now, the, this time in our country and around the world with what's happening in Ukraine, uh, this is just something else we can do to support our men and women in uniform. I want to talk politics now. There's an election later. I can't believe it took you so long to get to this. Hey, I, I get ripped. <laughs> I'm going to ask you the Columbus questions first. They're the uh, people yeah, that send me up here. That's but, right. But on the political side of this, you, I interviewed Senator Perdue about two weeks ago. He said that you and your family probably felt that his 
challenge of you was a betrayal of y'all's friendship and your relationship. Do you feel that way? I'm not too worried uh, about what he's thinking. I mean, I'm focused on doing my job as governor and get reelected. I mean, my, my sights are making sure Stacey Abrams does not become our governor or our president. And that's what I'm focused on every day. The other thing I'm focused on is simply doing what I promised people I would do. When I got in the race for governor, I was tired of people that would say one thing and then do something completely different when they got in office. So it has been my mission uh, to do what I told people I would do, whether it's creating the gang task force, whether it's doing the, the military retirement, constitutional carry, giving teachers the largest pay raise in state history. You know, we've done part of that already. We got the last $2,000 installment this year and, you know, making sure that we're the number one state in the country for small business. And you just look at where we are economically right now. That's what my focus is, is on. Uh, I know I got to win the primary, and that's what my focus is on, but my mission is to make sure that we stop Stacey Abrams. As you work through this primary, obviously it has divided Republicans in a very real way. No place is it more obvious than in your campaign disclosure in Columbus, Georgia. Columbus is a place where, though it's a Muskogee is a Democratic county on the voting, because of the businesses there, the Aflacs, the Synovuses, W.C. Bradley. Columbus is a key place for campaign financial contributions. I was going through yours last night. There were people up and down the list, Dan Amos, Aflac, Kevin Blair, Synovus, Blanchard, Yancey. There were people up and down the list that were making major contributions to your campaign who have traditionally supported you and Senator Perdue in your races. What does that tell you about what's happening with the Columbus business community? Listen, I, I don't think people is as divided as the media makes them out to be a lot of times. Uh, and we have great support in Columbus from all those folks and more that you mentioned. But we also got great support from the grassroots folks that are out there helping put signs up and giving small dollar contributions. And we're proud of all that. That's one reason we raised you know, I think I had $12 million cash on hand um, and Senator Perdue's fundraising was, was lackluster. It's because About a million. Well, people appreciate the record that, that I have established here in Georgia and that's what I've been running on. And they appreciate the fact that I have been putting them first, ahead of the politically correct and the status quo and simply doing what I've been saying. And that's, that's what they're supporting. They're wanting more of that uh, you know, and I, I don't think the party's near as divided as people are. I mean, Republicans have always had primary fights. You're starting to see the Democrats now doing that on some of the down-ballot uh, offices that are out there. And, and that's okay, because we're going to be united. I mean, Stacey Abrams is the, is the great unifier for, for Republicans. And so I'm going to stay positive. I'm going to continue to run on, on my record. And I'm going to fight hard, though, you know, because this is a challenge to, to what I have been doing and where our state's going. And we cannot let anybody destroy that, including my opponents. You talked about the fundraising a minute ago. You have significant fundraising advantage over Senator Perdue. Does the man with the most money win this race? Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm not planning on just having money and win the race. I mean, we're, I was the first person to organize uh, grassroots leaders in all 159 counties. You know, last Friday a week ago, I did six different events in, in one Friday. Uh, we're on the road constantly, you know, telling folks what my record is, proving 
um, you know, to them that I'm going to continue that. I mean, we got to give people, we've seen in the past just being against something or somebody doesn't win races. You got to be for something. We got to give Georgians a reason to vote for us here in this state, whether it's Columbus or Athens where I live or, you know, rural parts of our state, North Georgia, South Georgia. We got to tell people, you know, what our record is, what we stand for, and what we want to do. And that's, that's what this race is all about. The other side, they want to take us in a hundred and 80 degree different direction. I'll just give you a few examples. You know, they are the ones that criticized me uh, when we started measurely reopening small parts of our. You're talking about the Democrats. Yeah, the Democrats, Stacey Abrams, even Senator Perdue said the other day that I I reopened early, uh, which is outrageous. Uh, You go tell some hardworking Georgian that that was about to lose the roof over their head or get their car repossessed or couldn't buy groceries or or medicine for their kids. That's not what they thought. We were simply giving people an opportunity uh, to live to fight another day. Did the same thing when we tried to get, you know, started pushing to get our kids back in the classroom, support our educators to do that. The other side was was critical. They didn't want, want kids in the classroom. The data in the Trump administration is the same. Kids can be in the classroom. It's not easy. You gotta work hard at it. But our state has benefited because most of our school systems have had kids in the classroom. We never closed our churches in Georgia. You know, th- it's never been more important who your governor is. You saw governor in Columbus, they did shut down. Yeah, but it was their choice. It wasn't the government ordering them to do that. Other governors around the country literally prevented people from going to church. We didn't do that here. If the church decided that was in their best interest, they could make that choice. It wasn't a mandate from the government. And, and uh, you know, many other instances of that. Uh, the other side wants to defund the police. You know, we have a crime suppression unit that's been doing work in, a, in Columbus. We passed a bill that'll, that'll prevent rogue local governments from defunding the police. We're gonna stand with our men and women in law enforcement to keep our, uh, our community safe. You mentioned the name a minute ago, uh, former President Trump. He obviously endorsed you in the I think you mentioned his name. No, you said it. You said it. I got you now. I, I, we'll go back and check the tape. But uh, uh, no. But you were talking about. Uh, here's what I want to ask about President Trump, former President Trump. He obviously supported you, but since the 2020 election, you have been public enemy number one or one A, depending on where Raffensperger, Secretary Raffensperger, falls on that list. You have been. He has badmouthed you. He's cussed you. He has targeted you for for uh, defeat. He has said he's going to work to defeat you. If you could say one thing to him right now, what would you say to the former president about this race and about where you are? If you could say one thing to the former president, what would you say? Look, Chuck, I've told people this for a long time, and I'm going to keep telling them. I can't control what other people are doing. What I can control every day is what Brian Kemp's doing what Brian Kemp is Georgia's 83rd governor is doing, and that is focused on my record and working hard for every single Georgian in the state, whether they voted for me or not. That's what I promised people I would do. But I've also told people, you know, when Marty was holding that Bible, when I got sworn in and I lifted my right hand and put this hand on the Bible, I swore to protect the laws and the Constitution of this state and the Constitution of the United States. You know, when I was Secretary of State, I was in charge of elections, but I'm not Secretary of State anymore. I'm the governor. And I followed the law and the Constitution in this state and the Constitution of the United States. And as long as I'm governor, I'm going to continue to do that. And I think that's what people want. 
You know, they want you to do the right thing when you're when no one's watching. They want you to do the right thing even when it's hard to do it. I mean, it would have been the easiest thing in the world for me to to fold up and do something different. Call a special that, that session or whatever. That wasn't the right thing to do. And I didn't do that when Major League Baseball was targeting me or large Georgia companies were targeting me after we passed the Elections Integrity Act, fixing the mechanical issues that we saw in the elections in 2020. I was as frustrated as anyone else. But you know what? What we did is going to help us have more secure elections, and they're also still going to be very accessible. It's going to be easy to vote and hard to cheat here. And that's why I have stood up and I have not not bent to any of those things. I've just tried to do what's right and what I thought Georgians wanted me to do, not what some other person that doesn't live in the state or you know some national news organization that's putting pressure on me or some large corporation or former CEO from a you know guy that lives in New York or California. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about hardworking Georgians and what their needs are and fighting for them. It's your core, you're a home builder. You built houses. Um, early in your career. I know a lot of home builders in Columbus and around the state and builders are the salt of the earth in a lot of ways but they also don't like people attacking them or their families. They they get very proactive about that the ones I know and that I mean has it been hard not to go after the people whether it be former President Trump or others that have attacked you, attacked Marty, and attacked the kids? Well, you know, that comes with the territory. Uh, we got a saying in the Kemp family, no crying in politics. You know, we just fight back every single day. Um, you know, and I think this is a, a good reason for people to know where I am and why I'm gonna get reelected. I remember coming to Columbus during the Great Recession, you know, mid to late 2000s for a fundraiser. And I had builders that literally came by there and said, look, we, we are so broke, we cannot even give you a contribution. We just came to get signs because we like you, we support you. Uh, and those people are doing well today because of the things that I have done, because of the things that the state policymakers, like the local delegation in Columbus and a lot of other people have, have really built this environment, the business community, the economic developers. You know, our whole team in this state uh, people are experiencing great economic prosperity, and that's what makes me proud to think about those guys that were literally, I was there with them. I was there in the middle, mid-2000s about to lose everything I got. 2008 I, was not I, pretty. I know what it feels like. You know, I know what it feels like on Friday night, and that's why I did what I did when I reopened. And sure, it made a lot of people mad, and people called me, you know, bad names, but I wasn't worried about them. I was worried about those people that they, they were just were not going to sit at home and lose everything they got or not be able to provide for their children. And, and we just gave them a chance to, to live to fight another day. We didn't order anybody to go back to church or go out to eat or open your restaurant or, you know, open your uh, religious establishment or your business. We just simply gave them an opportunity to do that. And we worked with a lot of people uh, in Columbus on how we did that and how the private sector and the government could partner to have, you know, ways to do this that would protect people but weren't so burdensome that it was impossible to do. And that's like we saw that in states like California where the movie industry couldn't even open because the rules were too, too bad. What we did here was we gave the movie industry and other businesses flexibility uh, to make this work and, and we're thriving because of it. What skill, other than maybe hitting a nail with a hammer, did you learn as a builder that served you well coming through COVID? Well, I think uh, probably two things. Number one, 
is just you know when you're building you're you're a grinder you know but you don't just do you're something gambling. you don't do well you're gambling too but you don't just do something in one day i mean a project it takes a long time you just have to work hard every day to get it finished on time and it's just a grind and that's that's really how i've been uh in the governor's office especially during COVID. is just good days bad days highs lows you know whatever i hadn't tried to get too high too low i've just kept grinding i've kept grinding that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna do as your governor but also just that feeling of being home on friday night barely paid the people working for me that needed that check um, as much or more than i did not being able to pay all the suppliers sitting there with marty wondering you know we're going to be able to get through this and and you got two choices and you can throw the keys back to the bank and give up or you can get up on saturday morning and go back and grind again and and hope you sell something or or hope you make another dollar to to keep the wolves off off from chasing you for another day and I, I did that not just one friday night i did it month after month after month and i've done that more than once and marty has too she's been a small a business person right with me so we know how that feels and that's a bad feeling and uh, i didn't want georgians to have that feeling and, and that's something else i learned during covid we got to do two things protect lives but also livelihoods you feel like the wolves are chasing you in this primary a little bit no i'm chasing the wolves expand on that well you just look at the record you know if you don't have anything to fight with you're gonna run i got plenty to fight with you know i'm gonna keep fighting anybody that's out there that you know wants to change the way our state operates or not telling the truth and and that's what i'm gonna do that's what my family's doing um, that's what our great georgia team's doing we're gonna keep doing that we got a state that's worth fighting for one i think we're getting toward the end of this are we cody um not here hey, one thing I want to ask is you talked about baseball a minute ago. We're right across the street from Truist Park. Um, lockout is messing things up. Um, kind of where are you watching that? Because that could have an economic impact on, Georgia, on this part of Georgia for sure. And should the Braves go ahead and bite the bullet and sign free? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, I'm hopeful they'll get a deal done. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but we've seen this before. Uh, this is just a deal that they, they got to get figured out. But the thing is, if the season's not going on, um, the high-profile the high profile uh, players are not getting paid. Uh, you know, the up-and-coming players are not going to get paid, which, which hurts them. But also, you got a lot of hard-working Georgians that, you know, won't be able to work at the games. And, you know, that's unfortunate. Good thing is we've got great opportunity here in this area if that happens. But I, I, I feel confident they're going to get something done. And, uh, look, Freddie's been incredible. We'll see if they can sign him. I think it's going to depend on, you know, how long a deal he wants and, you know, where, where they are. But he's, he's done great things for the Braves. As you look at this, and kind of last question I'll ask you, as you look kind of this primary, you look at the political season that we're in, what's the state of Georgia right now? Well, to me, the state of Georgia is, is resilient. I mean, our people have been so resilient to get to this point after the last two years of hell that we have been through. And it, it has been hard. Y'all know it in Columbus. I've been there many times talking to the hospital, working with the mayor, local government, dealing with nursing homes and other things. And it's been very hard. But our state's resilient. And because we've been resilient, protecting lives and livelihoods, we're also thriving. We haven't seen an economy like this, and I, I don't know when. It is incredible. We're going to keep our foot on the gas. and keep working as hard as we can every day to give all people, no matter what neighborhood, no matter what zip code that they're in, 
great economic opportunity. You know, we want people that are being raised in Columbus, you know, we want them to be able to stay there and have a good paying job and raise their kids there and have their kids stay there. That's what we're building in our state and uh, we got to keep it going. Last question, are you monitoring the Russia-Ukraine situation right now? Oh, definitely. I mean, listen, we have Georgia troops that are that are over there, more that are that are headed out. We're asking the all the area. Yeah, ask, asking all Georgians to, to pray for them and their families and also the Ukrainians. I mean, you're talking about resilient people. They are resilient, but we are definitely monitoring that. Uh, also looking at state actions that we can take from divesting uh, from, from certain Russian funds and other things that are going on uh, to do our part. Governor, thank you, Chuck, sir. Always good, good to see you. You've heard from Governor Kemp. Now you're going to hear from Senator Perdue on why he wants to unseat a sitting governor, a rare move in Georgia politics or politics in general. I'm here with Senator David Perdue. Senator Perdue is running for governor of Georgia right now in the Republican primary. He is challenging governor, sitting governor, Brian Kemp after Kemp's first term. Uh, Senator, thanks for being here today. Uh, I'm going to start off, the, I saw an interview you did in Augusta last week, and we'll start off the same question. Yeah. Why? Well, this is certainly not in my character normally, uh, and the only reason I'm doing this is because the Republican Party is divided in the state. Uh, a lot of people feel like uh, Governor Kemp caved in to Stacey Abrams in the consent decree and then allowed uh, her to take control of the election in 2020. We see the results, and since then, he and the top three or four elected officials, officials have been in denial, uh, and we really have had no outside, really independent, objective uh, view of what happened in 2020. So the Republican Party is split, and we need to unite that party in order to beat Stacey Abrams this fall. And you look at the split, and there, there clearly is a split in the Republican Party, and you and Governor Kemp are highlighting that right now. Other than what you just said, why is the party split right now? Well, 73%, if you believe uh, separate polls that uh, have looked at this, believe that significant fraud happened and that Brian Kemp was responsible and did nothing about it. Now, when you look at what's going on, people say, well, it's all been looked at, it's, uh, there's nothing there, there are no facts. Well, that's not true. There's a court case that voters brought against the Fulton County Board of Elections that the judge actually ruled that the evidence was compelling. He ruled to unseal the absentee ballots and then later, unfortunately, ruled that voters don't have legal standing. So I've taken that case up, and uh, we're trying to find out if a candidate has legal standing, and then if it does, then I want to find out what happened in, in Fulton County. Now look, we're not trying to overturn an election, let's be clear. This is about finding out what happened and making sure it doesn't happen again. And I want to go back to that. Do you think the results of the Georgia election, both gubernator, or the uh, Senate races and the presidential race, were fair and accurate. Do you think the 2020 results and the 2021 runoff results were accurate? Of course not. I mean, when you look at the facts that have been presented in a court of law, a civil case, the facts that were presented there would cause you to investigate. If you're a reasonably minded person, you would say based on the facts presented in the law, in a court of law, that you would at least go investigate those, but we've had none of that done. In fact, we've had disinformation, really, from some of the officials up there. I even called for the resignation in November of last year after we saw what was happening. I asked for three, um, I, I joined three lawsuits. I asked for a special session several times to get at this so we could avoid it for the January runoff. And I even asked for the resignation of our Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. So we've been in a fighting against this all along. And this year, the evidence is beginning to, peel, to uh, uh, come out 
And it's not the conspiracy theory uh, that came out immediately after the election. These are hard, cold facts that are indisputable. When you look at this, I mean, you and Governor Kemp agree on one thing. Neither one of you think Stacey Abrams should be the governor of right. Georgia. I mean, it's that's a clear line yeah. of agreement for the two of y'all. Why are you the person best suited to beat Stacey Abrams? Well, first of all, I agree with your premise that both either uh, Brian or I will be better for the state of Georgia than Stacey Abrams. So let's be clear about that. I'm there. If he were to win this primary, I'm going to give him my full support. But the evidence is, is uh, there. In November of 2020, uh, I beat the Democrat by 90,000 votes. People forget that. We missed just by a few thousand votes the 50% rule and got pulled into a runoff. And 800,000 people did not come back out and vote because they had lost confidence in the voting system. Now, I also got uh, 480,000 votes more than Brian Kemp did in 18. And the reason we were able to do that is we pulled regular Republicans, people in the suburbs, these are new people moving in, and the Trump voter. We pulled all of those together and united. Five million people voted more than ever in Georgia's history, and I got more Republican votes than any person in Georgia's history. You got more than Senator Leffler did at the time. Correct. When you look at that, though, you say voters in Georgia have lost had lost confidence and didn't come back for the runoff in January of 2021. Right. Uh, you're being endorsed and pushed by President Trump. You, you played a video at an event you were mm -hmm. at earlier today. Uh, was President Trump part of the reason the people lost confidence in the in the results? And did that eventually, in your mind, cost you and Senator Leffler those two elections? Well, I would argue that, that by losing a race, I was the most damaged other than President Trump in the general election in November. And in uh, January, I certainly lost a lot there in terms of not being reelected. But I don't think Donald Trump influenced people to not vote. I think what he was talking about was the impropriety that we had to get it fixed. And we were on the same page. We were, I wasn't trying to overturn the November election. What we wanted to do was fix the two things, really, was the only thing I was arguing about. One is the signature verification wasn't done. It was obvious. The second was that we had a law that allowed people to parachute into Georgia to claim residency and register to vote, and over 200,000 people did that. We wanted that fixed before the January election. So what happened was people saw the vagaries of the general election. They saw the delay in the results. They saw what happened in Fulton and DeKalb County, and they just genuinely lost confidence. Quick question, and you mentioned that fact about people came into Georgia and registered between the November general and the runoff mm -hmm. and used a figure, I think, of 235 yes, uh, this afternoon. Where are you getting the number from? From the GOP and from the, the Secretary of State's own website. And I checked with the Secretary of State between and just trying to understand that because when you said that at the Republican Women's Day today, it was the first time I'd heard that yeah. number. And they said there were only 103,000 registered total but in that November to January period. So that, I mean, so I don't think 200, that number, the number according to Secretary of State's office today doesn't seem right. Is that? Well, there are so many numbers on Secretary of State's website that are not right. Yeah. Uh, we have a private citizen in Houston County who spent most of the year in 2021 looking at the Secretary of State's website and found 4,200 votes that were actually duplicate. They had been counted uh, twice at least. In addition, he found 18,000 missing batches, and this is just Fulton County. So out of 36 errors he found in Fulton County, only two of them amounted to 22,000 votes. So these are the types of vagaries that we want looked at. In November, or I'm sorry, in June 9th, there were 1,000 people who voted twice. The Secretary of State, the Attorney General, and the Governor all said, we're going to find them, we're going to prosecute them, we're going to make sure it doesn't happen again, and not one person's been investigated. So we have voting laws in Georgia, we just haven't been enforcing them. 
What I'm encouraged to do is when I get elected, we're going to create, if the state legislature agrees, and we'll fight hard for this, is to create an election law enforcement division inside the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to solely be responsible for enforcing voting law. Does that become almost like an election police? I mean, that's what you're Of course not. Do you, when you ride up and down the street, you have people out here that ensure safety. Mm -hmm. We don't call them the, the speeding police. They're yep. our safety officers, public safety officers. They want to keep us safe. So that's the way I look at it. I want the laws enforced. I want everybody to vote because the truth is when everybody voted in Georgia, Republicans won in my race. But when you got to the primary, do you, what concerns you most about the potential impact of the Kemp-Purdue primary? Well, the, the thing that most concerns me is whether or not Republicans will come out and vote in May and then again in November. If they do, we can protect this state from the liberal disaster we see going on in the Biden administration today. We know what Abrams has said publicly that she wants. She wants to get rid of ICE. She wants open borders. She wants illegal immigrants to vote. She wants to defund the police. So we know that's coming if we don't get together and vote. We have to unite. Whether or not we agree on all the individual issues is secondary. The first issue is do we want to default on the Republican side to the Democratic candidate for governor? I'm giving our people a choice, a referendum choice, about who they want to stand up against her. It's going to be an expensive primary. I mean, a really expensive primary. You're, you got in and your initial fundraising effort was significantly lower than Governor Kemp's. How are you going to offset the financial disadvantage you're at right now coming out of the gate? You know, Chuck, in, uh, let's see, it was 2014. At this point in February yep. in 2013, my poll number was 3% with a 4% margin of error. So you I were had, underwater. I was totally underwater, and I raised a lot less then than we are now. We're not going to outraise the governor. It's an incumbent governor. I'm a big boy. I know that. I knew that going in. Uh, it's just a transactional relationship between most people and, and the governor. So we, this is not going to be about money. It's really going to be about people versus politicians. Governor Kemp has been in elected office for 20 years. I think people are fed up with what's happened the last two years. They don't feel like he stood up and fought for them. And I'm giving them a simple choice. That's all we're doing. You know, and it's interesting when you talk about fundraising. Columbus has traditionally been yeah. one of those communities because of our strong businesses here, yeah. the Sonovas, the Aflacs, you know, the, the wealth that is in, in this community. Columbus is traditionally a place you have come, mm -hmm. and Governor Kemp has mm -hmm. come, and asked for campaign contributions, right. the, literally the oil that, right. that fuels the engine. Um, is it more difficult now because you're asking people to split loyalties, particularly the business communities, that maybe look at this using your word, not mine, as transactional? Well, Chuck, you, uh, that's a very astute observation. It takes somebody that understands the, the nuances of, of campaigning in Georgia. Nobody's ever run, a Republican has never run against an incumbent Republican governor before. And so this is new Much territory. Much less a former U.S. Senator. Right. And so what we've done is, of course, we put people in conflict. Unintentionally, but we knew it was a byproduct. I'm shut out from the traditional sources of raising money in this state, the people that were always supportive of me in 14 and then again in 20. We knew that going in. And that's why we're running a campaign of the people. We saw a thousand people in small events, just like the one you just attended. You had about 75 today. That's correct. Republican women. Correct, and we'll do anywhere between 15 and 20 a week is what we're doing right now, all over the state, from Hayhire to Hiawassee. I finished Saturday night in McKaysville, drove back to uh, the coast this uh, that Saturday night after the 7:30 event, and did a, a, a early morning hit with a TV hit with uh, Maria Bartiromo on uh, MSNBC. So, this is something that we're doing. We're you not did a gonna... TV hit on MSNBC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
That's not your normal network of choice. I'm sorry, it was Fox, actually. Okay, okay, sorry. okay, yeah, but, <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, Joe Kernan's on MSNBC, yeah. okay. but uh, okay. that was okay. Fox that morning, yeah. sorry. Okay, no. Um, Good catch. Ahead. She would have killed me for that, by the way. <laughs> talk, uh, talk a little bit about the conversations you're having with the traditional support that has been with you in the past that's sort of saying, hey, I'm, you know, how are those conversations going with, with people in the business communities, particularly in this community, Columbus? Well, you know, the National Chamber of Commerce put millions of dollars against me in the primary against Jack Kingston back in 2014. They did. Yeah, you know, the uh, RGA, the Republican Governors Association, is putting ads up now, right now, against us. So this is something I've gotten used to as an outsider, um, but I, I'm not worried about that. What I'm doing is speaking what people have in their minds and hearts, and I believe it's a majority of people. What concerns me is whether they will get over their concern about the voting vagaries and go out and vote, get me elected so we can finally, once and for all, get this fixed. If they do that, We'll be in good shape in November. Do you think across the state as we get closer to the May 24th election that that you and Governor Kemp will be side by side? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, I mean, I know that debating was an issue in the last election, but you're going to you're going to debate Governor Kemp. Uh, it, there's a lot of turns in this thing. Well, right? in my, my race in 2014, we did 17, Chuck, 17 debates in a primary, a runoff, and a general election. In 2020, we did three with the Democrat. People forget that. We did three. In the runoff, we decided not to do it for several reasons, one of which I wanted people to see how, what an empty suit I was running against. Obviously, it wasn't about the candidates. It was about the concern about the election, and our people just didn't come back out and vote. You've been at it on both sides now as the contender trying to knock the champion off and then as the champion. Is debating more difficult to do when you hold the seat, when you are, you have the belt? First of all, I don't think debates matter much anymore, except at the presidential level. I think that's all about uh, uh, TV, and, and quite frankly, some of the questions you'll see come out of there are really uh, uh, not appropriate for the broad issues before us here. But uh, I don't think so. I think the, the issue right now is to get the truth out before the people and, and let them know they have a choice. A, uh, a, you know, the Trump endorsement is one of the things we're trying to get out there right now. You saw that video earlier. The fact of what I did after the November election to make sure that we fought against what was happening, to find out what happened. And now what we're doing is going around the state making sure people know they have a referendum choice. They don't have to default to the establishment. So as an outsider, I, I actually like that. I've done that my whole life. I competed against people like Levi Strauss, uh, Nike, and a little company you might have heard of called Walmart in my business career. So, I mean, this is something You were that, Reebok and Dollar General. I was at Reebok, and we competed with Nike uphill, and we did that successfully. I was at uh, Dollar General, and you can see the result of that. We competed very effectively Every against corner. Walmart. So, uh, I'm proud of that, and it was all because of the people we had around us and because of one thing. We listened to our customers, and that's what I've been doing all of 2021. I put my life on hold to figure out what happened and to try to help make sure it never happens again. You don't have to do this. I mean, you're a man of means. Uh, you and your wife, Bonnie, could be on the coast or wherever you choose to be. You are opening yourself up to pu public scrutiny. You're <laughs> opening yourself yeah. up to attacks. Yeah. And, you are in, and you will be throwing out some of those attacks. But you're in a fight now. You could have bypassed this fight. Why didn't you? Why didn't you sit it out? I will tell you that I got drafted, but it was much more than that. The phone rang off the hook all year. I got frustrated because I saw a train wreck coming, and I can tell you if Republicans want a, a president in the White House in 24 
and they want to get the Senate majority back in 22, they have to win this governor's race. And it's I, that important? It's that important. This governor's race will become a, a race of national importance. Just like I told people in May of last year, that Senate seat in Georgia, my Senate seat, could become the pivotal vote to determine the majority. I was right. Unfortunately, we didn't get that pulled off in the runoff. This time, we know what people did. We know when they did it, where they did it, how they did it. I'm encouraging everybody to get out and vote, regardless of how they vote, and we'll live with the outcome. As you look, there was a successful Republican candidate in Virginia for the governor's mm -hmm. race. That candidate ran sort of skirting President Trump. They didn't bring President Trump in. You seem to be taking the other tack. You seem to be running toward President Trump. You played one of his videos today before your campaign event. Have you got advisors telling you you need to build some distance between you and President Trump, or is that not possible now because you were one of the first? <laughs> you know, senators? that's the thing about politicians. They have these handlers. Well, I don't have those. I'm a business guy. The reason I don't like debates is I never had debates in the business world. I was a CEO. <laughs> <laughs> and we made decisions and got people mobilized and, 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 and moved, and we got things done. In politics, it's a little different game. Uh, no, I'm not worried about that. I mean, I know the other side really is because you can see their desperate attempts to bring my unfavorables up and, uh, and the uh, negative attacks. What we're doing is taking the message to the people, and that's all I know to do, Chuck. You know, if you look, you and Governor Kemp obviously have had a personal and professional mm -hmm. relationship over the years. Does that make this more difficult for you, the fact that you're throwing punches and you're getting hit by somebody that you used to be on the same team with? A hundred percent. And Jack Kingston and I talk about that a lot. Jack ended up being in the runoff with me in, um, in 2014. We fought like cats and dogs, but he was the first one to call me that night and say, look, I see the outcome, I'm all in your camp. And he was the hardest worker for us against Michelle Nunn and the Numb Machine. Uh, back in 2014. That's what you know. I'm hoping will happen in this case. Of course it makes it more difficult. Uh, I like uh, Brian, I like his family. Uh, they see this as a betrayal, I'm sure, but the betrayal that happened here, truly, is what the governor did in his lack of leadership and allowing Stacey Abrams to take over the elections and then not do anything about it. Going forward, there's so many things we need to take care of. I want to get rid of the state income tax. I want to get this law enforcement division for voting uh, laws. And I want to put education back in the hands of parents. How do you get rid of the income tax? That seems like the way the income tax and how much revenue it generates for the state general fund, that seems like a great thing to say, but a really difficult thing to do. Of course it's difficult. And I've had people tell me all my life when I said, look, we're coming into these turnaround situations competing with Nike and Walmart. Of course it's going to be difficult. They wouldn't be as big as they are if it was going to be easy. It's difficult, but it's doable. Nine states don't have state income tax. And guess who's out competing us right now from an economic growth point of view? those nine states for the most part. Tennessee, Florida, Texas, all don't have, neither, none of those have a state income tax. As a matter of fact, Chuck, a couple weeks ago, the House in Mississippi just voted to get rid of their, of their state income tax. Would you so, replace it with sales tax? Is that with what? Would you replace the revenue with well, sales the, tax? Well, what you do is you, there are several steps that you have to do. I've got two of the Trump White House economists that helped architect this economic boom that we have had and enjoyed prior to COVID. Uh, wor I'm working with them right now, and what you do is you have to rationalize all the tax credits and all the deducts, everything else on the sales tax first, okay, because we have a myriad of things that, that affect that. So you get that in place first. You can actually lower the rate. Right now we have a $1.6 billion 
uh, $4 billion surplus and the governor wants to use 1.6 of it as a one-time election year giveaway, I'm saying, okay, if you're willing to do that, let's make a permanent cut. That's a three-quarter rate, three-quarter of a percentage point rate there. Throwing a couple of these other tax credits on the state income tax, you've already taken it down one full point. State income tax only provides $13 billion of the $30 billion of revenue we get right now. Of course it can be done. We have a plan and we'll, you know, we will implement that with the state legislature. It won't happen overnight. It'll be a phased approach. And I, I just don't see any reason we can't do it. Have you got any economist advising you on this? Absolutely. So Absolutely. You're, so you're talking to economics. Oh, no, these are the best. These are the Art Laffer in Nashville, Tennessee, Stephen Moore are two to speak of. Larry Kudlow talked about it on his show the other day. These are White House economists that, that helped us architect this uh, economic strategy and agenda that Donald Trump and we in the Senate implemented uh, back in 17 and 18 that caused the greatest economic turnaround in U.S. history. So I'm definitely uh, getting their counsel. They absolutely believe it's doable. And, uh, and I just know that it can happen. You can reduce rates and actually increase revenue. That's the other thing that people don't understand, which we proved with the, uh, the tax cuts of 2017. Have you talked to pre former President Trump lately? And if so, kind of what message is he giving you? And I know that he has endorsed uh, uh, former State Representative Vernon, Vernon Jones? No, uh, Vernon, Bert, Vernon uh, Jordan. Burt Jones. Bert Burt no, Jones. No, the, the, that was running in your race. I'm sorry. No, he's not endorsed anybody in my race but me. Okay. No, no. When he got out, he endorsed him in a congressional race. Oh, I'm sorry. When yeah. Vernon Jones got yes. out of this race, yes. President Trump endorsed Vernon Jones in the 10th district, I believe. Yes. So, I mean, does Vernon Jones out of your race make things easier for, for you? Well, certainly. Uh, a lot of those voters are our voters. Um, Vernon Jones and I were saying the same thing about the elections, about President Trump. Uh, Vernon Jones is a patriot. He and I are very much aligned on, on the principles of, of what happened and what we need to do about it. Um, I'm proud to have his endorsement as well. And uh, I'm really delighted that now we can unify our message in this race. So from that standpoint, uh, it, it makes things more direct. And that's what we hope to do in the few months that we have before the election. Remember, April 5th, people start, can, they can start applying for their absentee ballot. May 2nd. And May 2nd is open. early open. Yep. And 24th. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be here fast. Yes, sir. Will you continue? I mean, obviously, people are saying this is going to be a very expensive campaign to run. Right now, you're not doing a lot of TV. Will you do TV down the road, a lot of that down the road? Or you can continue to do these kind of grassroots Republican events like what you did here today? You're going to see us do what we did in 14, and that's doing what we're doing today and last week and all these two months. We're taking our message to the people. You may not see a lot of TV, but you're going to see a lot of us in every other venue out there. And, okay. and the old adage of throwing a lot of TV up is, is kind of passe now. It's much more effective to do some of these things we're doing. But the other thing is our message is real simple. I'm not telling people how bad Governor Kemp is. I'm just giving them an option right now and explaining the facts. Like most people don't know that that court case, the judge actually ruled that there was compelling evidence and he ruled to unseal those uh, absentee ballots. They don't know that. They also know that, don't know that only nine absentee ballots were rejected because of bad signature in DeKalb County, as an example. So these are the things that we're doing, and the best way to do that is face-to-face. -face. Well, you've been very generous with your time. I appreciate it. La last question I'm going to ask you is kind of a philosophical one. But when you got in the car this morning, you drove from Brunswick to Columbus um, this morning. You, you rode from Brunswick to Columbus, I would guess. But as, as you're in that car and you're thinking about this, has there been a point where you're questioning what 
you, not commitment to it, and that's the wrong word, but you're questioning why'd I do it? Are you, are you, is there any point where you're just saying, I don't have to be in this car, I don't have to be doing this? So yeah, that's a, that's a probing question, not a minute. And now, before I got in here, I debated that for six months because I saw the train wreck coming because I couldn't get the governor to move on the things that he needed to move on. In May of last year, the governor saw this harvesting evidence. I saw it then too. It was compelling. The GBI looked at it, said it was compelling, and yet we had no investigation. So for that six months, I went back and forth. I don't want to run against a, an incumbent governor, a friend, but at the end of the day, I owed more allegiance to the people of Georgia than I did to a single friend. Well, Senator, thank you, sir. We have, our guest has been Senator David Perdue, candidate for governor of Georgia. That's not something I thought I would have been saying. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Me either, Chuck. But we're here, and we're going to win it. Okay. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Chuck, your thank time. thank you. Yeah, thank be you. Be safe. You've heard from the two men who want to be the Republican nominee. It promises to be a political season unlike any other building toward the May 24th primary and then the November 8th general election in which one of these two guys is likely to take on Democrat Stacey Abrams. Stay tuned. It's going to be an interesting year. You can watch The Chuck Williams Show on Tuesday night on WRBL.com. It's also available on iHeart, Spotify, and Apple. You can also catch me on social media, Twitter at Chuck Williams, Facebook, Chuck Williams WRBL, and Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999. Thanks for listening to the Chuck Williams Show this week. Uh, we hope to have a lot more political guests as we build toward the elections. Look forward to seeing you back in this space. <laughs>